All right, good morning. How you guys doing? Good. Hey, it's good to see you guys. Thanks for making Brooklyn as part of your weekend. And I am so excited to be here. If you don't know me, my name is Brandon. I'm actually one of the pastors here at River Glen. And I have a crazy story to tell you guys today. We're doing this series called Stranger Than Fiction, where we're looking at stories in the Bible that maybe your parents kind of skipped over when you were a child because they're kind of crazy, a little odd, uh, sometimes a little graphic, a little weird. Um, But we're learning throughout this series, we're looking at these stories in the book of Judges. These stories actually are really relevant to our lives and what we can learn from them and how God is trying to work in our lives. And so we're looking at these stories and it's been great. And if you've missed any of the weeks, uh, that's that's completely okay. I'm going to encourage you guys to check out our website or our app and catch up because these stories, these messages have been really fantastic and practical for me. And I know they will be for you as well. Because what's happening is we're looking at Israel, God's chosen people, his nation during this time of the judges. And what we're seeing is this, this cycle that plays out. We're seeing this cycle that God calls Israel to act and behave a certain way. But what happened is Israel would disobey first. And then that would lead to disaster. And then God would need to deliver them uh, through various means. And in judges, he uses individuals called judges. So uh, this idea of disobedience right here. So what happened? They would disobey. It lead to disaster. And then God would need to deliver them. And we see this happen over and over again in Israel for over a span of over 300 years. Israel went through this cycle and God would faithfully deliver them. And what's crazy though is our lives has a tendency to reflect the nation of Israel. Our lives have a a tendency to to reflect this idea of disobedience, which would lead to disaster and then the need for deliverance. And we see this in our lives by simply looking in our lives to the people around us. Um, Now that I'm a parent, I see it all the time in my children. Um, I have two kids now. Um, I have Noah, who's three, and Drew, who's four months old. And my wife, Danielle, recently just started going back to work part-time. And that means on Fridays, she goes to work and it's my day off. I stay home with my boys. Now, it sounds cool, right? A father and his two sons, you know, a man and his boys. Like, it sounds like a great opportunity just to, like, eat unhealthy food and, and get dirty and play in the mud, right? Sounds fun. Not yet. Uh, I'll be honest with you guys. I'm still trying to adapt to this whole like one versus two, one parent versus two kids thing. Because you know, with Noah, one on one, that's fine. Man to man defense, I can handle that. Uh, but with Drew, now it's you know they've outnumbered me. And now Drew, you may think it's not a big deal. Drew's not mobile or anything like that. It doesn't matter. The kid has power. And now there's two kids, and I don't know how to really take care of them both. Noah has already figured out that when I need to feed Drew his bottle, that is like 15 minutes for him to do whatever he wants, and I can't stop him. Because I can't stop feeding Drew. He'll get angry. So I'm feeding Drew and Noah's like, oh, I'm going to go get into stuff that dad and mom says I cannot get into right now. And like one time recently, a couple weeks ago, I'm feeding Drew and Noah comes in with this lotion-like substance all over his body. And I'm like, Noah, what is that? And he goes, it's sunscreen, daddy. I'm going outside. Now, props to Noah for being like, you know, just, you know, conscious about his skin health. But the dude needs to learn that he doesn't need an entire bottle of sunscreen for a 35-pound body. It was a mess. So another thing that happens is Drew's at this stage where he needs to be on the floor and kind of get some tummy time and work on his rolling ability, work on grabbing his feet and seeing if they taste good. It's just a wonderful time for a four-month-old. He's on the floor. He's, you know, he stares at the ceiling fan, laughs at it because that's what four-month-olds do, I guess. Um, but when he does that, Noah insists that he needs to play as close as humanly possible to Drew in those times. 
And it's kind of frustrating. I tell Noah, Noah, leave your brother alone. Just, just back off, give him some space, go find some sunscreen. Just leave your brother alone right now. But Noah just doesn't do it. And last Friday, we had a very Israel-like moment for Noah. I put Drew on the floor, and he's doing some tummy time, and he's working on his, you know, lifting up his head, you know, you know doing really amazing stuff for a four-month-old. And Noah insists on playing near Drew. And he plays his favorite game called, How Close Can I Get to My Brother Without Stepping on Him? Uh, it's his favorite game. And so he's running around, all that kind of stuff. And finally, like, you know, after I've told him a number of times, Noah, leave your brother alone. Go somewhere else. Go play. Let's play games, me and you. He's like, no, I want to play by Drew. by Drew. He finally runs too close to Drew, and he steps on his arm. And little, innocent, four-month-old Drew just lets out this horrible, saddening, heartbreaking scream and just starts crying, and it's awful. And, and so Noah disobeys, and now we're in this disastrous mode because Drew is crying, and Noah looks at me, and I look at Noah, and I'm here to tell you after three years, I have learned how to put the fear of God to my children already. And he looks at me, and he just takes off running. And Noah went and puts himself in the timeout, which is awesome, by the way. <laughs> Noah runs to his room, puts himself in the timeout, because he knows dad is mad. And so I take care of Drew. I get him calmed down. I, I pick him up. I, I soothe him. I get him settled down and, and all that kind of stuff. And finally, I have to go take care of Noah. And I hear Noah say, Daddy, can I get out of timeout now? And I go into his room, and we have a little father-to-son talk. And we talk about what he did and why it was wrong and why he needs to listen. And I deliver him from his timeout. And Noah was just like Israel, disobedience, disaster, needing deliverance. And what's funny is it's not just Noah that goes through that. I go through that. And you go through that. We all go through this cycle that Israel went through of, of disobeying, and then it leads to disaster, and then we need deliverance. We all have this tendency to live out what it says at the end of the book of Judges in chapter 21, verse 25. It says this. It says, in those days Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw Fit. We all have this tendency in our lives to do what we want, when we want, with whomever we want. We all live like there's no king in our lives, so we live by our own set of rules, and we do what's right in our own eyes, and we have a tendency to just do that, and we disobey what God says, and it leads to that same cycle of disobedience, disaster, and then needing deliverance. That's what Israel did for over 300 years. God had this big dream for Israel. They were his people. They were called to do amazing things. They had plans. They were supposed to be the light in the darkest places in this earth. God was raising them up to show the world who God was. But so often, time and time again, Israel, would, their own actions would get in the way of God's calling for their lives. And it would lead them to get into this, this, this disaster where they would need delivered. And the same thing happens for us. God has plans for us. He has dreams for us. He has, he has a calling for our lives. But my question is, what do we do when our actions get in the way of God's calling? We come across this person in Judges that is kind of like a microcosm of what Israel was going through. This judge was one of those guys who just got consistently disobeyed, it was led to the disaster, and then he needed deliverance. And you've probably already heard of him. How many of you guys ever heard of the man named Samson? Samson's a pretty popular thing in our culture. There was Samson the gorilla at the Milwaukee Zoo, owned for his strength, things like that. Samson's a, a common name, and we know uh, a little bit about him because of the culture that we have, knowing that Samson was this big, what? He was known for his strength. His, you, know, you know, big, strong, masculine guy, kind of like me, right? No, haters. Come on now. 
But Samson was known as this big, strong guy. And his story takes place in Judges chapter 13 through 16. Now listen, his story covers a lot of things. And we don't have time to cover it all today. But I recommend that you go home today and open up your Bible and read all of Samson's story in Judges 13 through 16. Because it is crazy. It is definitely a stranger than fiction story. But it's extremely relevant to our lives. It starts off like quite a few stories do in the Bible. There was a man and a woman, a husband and wife, and they were childless. The, the Bible actually said the wife was sterile. But an angel appears to them, and the angel tells them they're going to have a son, but that son came with a specific set of instructions on how you're supposed to raise them. I wished every baby came with that. It'd be so much easier, right? But this is what happened. Judges 13, uh, starting in verse 3 through 5, it says this. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, You are barren and childless, but you are going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. Now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink, and that you do not eat anything unclean. You will become pregnant and have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor because the boy is to be a Nazarite, dedicated to God from the womb. He will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. So this angel announces to these parents that they are going to have a child. They're going to have a son, but they are supposed to take uh, extreme caution in how they're supposed to raise them. But what's crazy about this prophecy from this angel is right away, before this baby is even born, this angel is talking about this baby who will be Samson, his calling. That before this baby was born, God has plans for this baby. That he's going to grow up and do great things for God. And I think we're the same way. In fact, I know we're the same way. Before we were born, God had plans for us. He had dreams for us. He has a calling for our lives. And this calling will fulfill you. This calling will fit you. This calling will lead you to do good things for God. For Samson, his calling was he was going to start the freedom for Israel from the Philistines. Because you see, Israel was back in this cycle again. They disobeyed. They went their own directions. They went after their own fleshly desires. And it led to disaster because the Philistines took control over them. And the Philistines were some bad, bad people. But God was going to deliver them through a judge named Samson. And Samson was supposed to be special. Samson was going to be set apart. Samson had this calling. He was, he was called to take this Nazarite vow. And what this meant is a Nazarite vow meant they would drink no alcohol. They would um, not touch or eat anything unclean according to the Jewish law. And they would never, ever cut their hair. Now, a lot of men in that culture would take this Nazarite vow for a small period of time as a way to focus on God and their relationship with God. But for Samson, it was decided for him before he was even born, and he was called to do this for his entire life. And so you would see this guy. You wouldn't know that he would you know, avoid eating unclean things or he wouldn't drink alcohol, but you would see this man with this crazy long hair, and you would know, based on that culture, that he was set apart for God that he had this calling, that he was purposely saving himself to do the works that God is calling him to do. And Samson was called to free Israel from the Philistines. And God blessed him by giving him this crazy superhuman strength where no one could defeat him. And even in the early stages, we see that God starts blessing Samson, even as he's growing up. Judges 13, 24 through 25 says, The woman gave birth to a boy and named him Samson. He grew and the Lord blessed him, and the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him. Even as a kid, as he's growing up, the Spirit of God is, is in him and beginning to stir him. And it shows that even as kids, we have a calling and a purpose from God, and we can serve 
God even as children. And Samson was called to do big things, but Samson had an issue. He had something that kept getting in the way of his calling that God had given him, and his issue was women. How many guys can relate to that? Women just just screw everything up. Don't raise your hand. Your wife or your spouse will just beat you right here in front of everybody else. Samson had this issue with women. Samson's issue was he lusted after women. He couldn't say no to women. They controlled him. And it wasn't just any woman. Samson just had this knack, and maybe you can relate to this. He just picked the wrong woman every single time. He could not pick a good woman. It started in Judges 14, starting in verses 1 through 3. It says this, Samson went down to Timnah and saw there a young Philistine woman. When he returned, he said to his father and mother, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. His father and mother replied, Isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives, among all of our people? Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me. She's the right one. So Samson goes down into, you know, into another town called Timnah, and he sees this woman. And he sees this Philistine woman, you know, the Philistines who right now control and overpower the Israelites. He sees this Philistine woman, and he doesn't know her. He doesn't know about her. He just sees her. So translation, huh, she's hot. And that's exactly what Samson's thinking right now. She is this beautiful woman. He thinks she's hot. She's she's just this beautiful, perfect, smoking hot girl. And he goes back to his parents and says, Mom, Dad, I saw this girl. She's good looking. I want her as my wife. Can you set that up for me? And his parents are like, why? Why go to the Philistines when we have plenty of other beautiful women in in Israel? Why can't you pick one of them? But Samson says, no, she's the right one for me. I want her as my wife. Make it happen. So Samson's essentially just doing everything that he thinks is right in his own eyes. He says, get her for me. So they set it up. And this is where Samson's downfall just starts happening. He sets this wedding is supposed to be set up, but Samson has this knack for just ticking off the Philistines. And so this wedding is supposed to happen. They get all these big, all these guests around, all these Philistines around, and Samson just causes a ruckus, which leads to his potential wife selling him out, and then she goes and marries another man. The Philistines actually have her marry another man. And this just infuriates Samson. He is angry at the situation. He was supposed to marry her, but then he gets sold out by this woman. She gets then, she marries off to another man, and he's angry. So Samson, now this is where it gets stranger than fiction, people. Samson then goes and collects 300 foxes, ties them in pairs by their tails, how, I don't know, a rope or something like that, sticks a torch attached to them, and sends those sets of foxes all across the fields of the Philistines where the crops and food were, and they just burn it to the ground. And so Samson cripples the Philistines by taking away their food supply because the woman he wanted to marry got married off to somebody else. Now this then infuriates the Philistines and they get angry and they actually take that woman and that woman's father and kill them and then they turn their anger back towards the Israelites and make life even worse for the Israelites and that makes the Israelites mad at Samson. It's like, man, do not agitate our bully and Samson did that beyond that and then some. 
He completely agitated the Philistines. And the Israelites were so mad at that point, they said, hey, Samson, I know you're one of us, but we can't have this. We're actually going to hand you over to the Philistines. And Samson trusted them as the leaders and said, okay, here, tie me up, let's go. And they tie up Samson and they're taking him to the Philistines. And as Samson sees the Philistines approaching to take him away, his anger and his strength gets all crazy again because of who they are. He breaks off his chains and then he picks up a jawbone of a donkey Following me? Weird, huh? Picks up a jawbone of a donkey and proceeds to kill 1,000 Philistine men. One guy, jawbone of a donkey, killed 1,000 Philistine men. This guy could not be stopped. He was so strong, so powerful, that they could not overtake him. And all this started, all this mess happened because Samson lusted after a woman. Another situation happens where Samson again sneaks down and he meets up with a Philistine prostitute. Yeah, this guy just does not make good decisions when it came to women. And in the midst of seeing this prostitute, and by seeing, you know what's going on, the Philistines surround the place where they're at hoping to kill him. But again, Samson escapes because he's so strong and no one can overtake him. Samson is a mess when it comes to women. They keep getting in the way of the calling that God has for his life. But his biggest issue came with his most famous partner, Delilah. How many of you guys have heard of Samson and Delilah? That story as a kid. Yeah. This is a, just a mess of a situation. Now, Delilah was a little bit different as a woman. You see, Samson didn't just lust after her. Samson actually fell in love with her. He was in love with Delilah. He wanted her as his wife and wanted to spend his life with her. He loved this woman. But she was not a good woman. See, what happened is the Philistines, uh, they needed to figure out how they could overtake Samson because they couldn't do it. He would just kill all other people. So they go to Delilah and say, hey, Delilah, if you can figure out where his strength comes from and how we can overtake him, we will pay you lots and lots and lots of money. And Delilah says, okay. She chooses her people and money over Samson. And so, so Delilah starts the whole thing by going to Samson and said, hey, Samson, honey, sweetie, baby, Schnookums, whatever name that you, you, know, you can think she calls them. Where does your strength come from? Now, Samson knows his strength comes from God. He knows he's, he's taken the Nazarite vow. He knows because he's been set apart from God, that is why God has blessed him with this strength. So why would he risk giving up that secret? But Samson is in love with a woman. And guys, you can relate. Our brains turn to mush when women are involved. We don't think right. And so Samson... Tells Delilah, if you tie me up with seven bowstrings, I'll lose my strength and I'll become like any other man. He trusts her. Well, he falls asleep and Delilah ties him up with seven bowstrings, lets the Philistines in, and then yells out, Samson, 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 the Philistines are here, they're here to capture you, thinking that he has no power. And Samson gets up, snaps off the bowstrings, and then snaps off the Philistines like it was no problem. She tries to get him captured. She tries to get him killed. And then what blows my mind in the story is Delilah then goes to Samson. She goes, why did you do that to me? You made me look like a fool. Don't you love me? I'm sorry, what? Like if I'm Samson, I'm thinking, are you crazy right now? I told you that and you set me up to get me captured and killed and you blame me for this situation? But Samson doesn't do that. 
And Delilah again goes, please, please tell me the secret of your strength. And I'm thinking, don't do it again. You just saw what she did. But Samson then goes, all right, here's the truth, honey. If you tie me up with new ropes that's never been used, I'll, I'll lose my strength. That's what happens. And again, that night he falls asleep. She ties him up with these new ropes, lets the Philistines in, and says, Samson, Samson, the Philistines are here. Look out. And Samson gets up again and just takes care of the Philistines. Does it again. Now, by now you think, okay, this relationship has to be over, right? Like there's no way he can keep going with this. Delight. But he keeps loving her stupidly. And she does it again. This time he says, if you braid my hair, it'll happen. And she did the same thing. And finally, she comes back again. She goes, how can you keep doing this to me? How can you keep making me look like a fool? If you really loved me, you would tell me where your strength comes from, even after her trying to get him captured three times already. But she keeps nagging him and nagging him and pestering him about where his strength comes from. And Samson finally gets to this point where he says in Judges 16, 17, so he said to her, So he told her everything. He says, no razor has ever been used on my head, he said, because I have been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me, and I would become as weak as any other man. Samson finally tells her where his strength comes from, and it comes from God. And because he's been set apart by God, God has blessed him and given him this strength What blows my mind about what he tells her is the very last sentence he said, if my head were shaved, my strength would leave me and I would become as weak as any other man. My question is, why would you want to be like any other man? When you were special, you were set apart, you were called to do great things, why do you want to lower yourself to be like any other man? I'm sure you can figure out what happened. Samson fell asleep. Delilah shaved his head. The Philistines came in. He gets up thinking he'll defeat him again, but he realized the Spirit of God left him. His strength was gone. He was captured. His eyes were gouged out. You know, the same thing that actually got him in trouble, his lust with his eyes, they're gouged out, and he's kept as a slave with the Philistines. This man who was called to free them from the Philistines is now captured by them. What happened? But thankfully, this isn't the end. Later on, Philistines, the Philistines brought Samson out in the temple to perform in front of thousands of people. They kind of show, hey, look, we captured the great Samson. Look at us. We're the best. And Samson finally remembered who his God was and who, what his calling was. And Judges 16, 28 says, Then Samson prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, remember me. Please, God, strengthen me just once more. And let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. And what happens is God blesses this prayer. He remembers him. He remembers his promise to Samson. And Samson gets his strength back. And Samson gets leaned up against the two main pillars in the center of the temple. And he puts his hands on them. And with his super crazy, mighty, human, God-like strength... He pushes these temple pillars over, causing the entire temple to collapse on him and the Philistines. And that leads him to kill 3,000 Philistine men and women, many of whom were the leaders of the Philistines and including himself. And this moment was actually a pivoting moment for the Israelites to be freed from the Philistines. Samson fulfilled his calling, but he lost his life in the process. It's a pretty crazy story, right? This is a story that looks so much of what Israel went through for 300-something years. They would disobey, it leads to disaster, and they would need deliverance. That's what Samson went through. 
And it's easy to look at that story and go, Samson, how could you be so stupid? But really, we're the same way. We're just like Samson. And here's how. First off, you have a calling from God. Each and every one of you, God has called and has plans for you. He has dreams for you. He wants to set you apart from this world to do good things, to do good works, to be a light in the darkest places, to fulfill our mission, to make more and better followers of Jesus. But so often we think about ourselves, we think about ourselves as we're just like any other person or even less than that. We think, what could God want with a person like me? Or some of us think, you know, I believe in God, I follow Jesus, but you know, I'm not special. I don't have any gifts to offer God. I got nothing really to do. There's really nothing God can do with me. And so often we think that way. But that's not how God views you. Let me tell you how God views you in Ephesians 2.10. It says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. If you've never heard this before, let me tell you, you are God's handiwork. He has crafted you. He has formed you. He has created you. He has gifted you. And he has called you. He has given you a calling to do good works in your life. And he had these plans for you. He had these dreams for you before you were even born. And so maybe you're even here. You're not even a Christ follower. You're not, you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. That's okay. I'm so glad that you're here. But know that even where you sit right now, God wants to do amazing things with you. He wants to lead you on this journey to live out your calling that he has planned for you. I mean, how amazing is that? The God of this universe who created everything wants to take you on this epic journey to live out the plans that he formed for you before you were even born. So what's your calling? How is he setting you apart to do good? Maybe he's calling you to start a ministry or a nonprofit organization. Maybe he's calling you to serve the needy in our community. Maybe he's calling you to lead through different ways. I know he, for one thing, if we're a Christ follower in this room, he's called all of us, all of us to share Jesus with those around us, our family, our friends, our coworkers. Hey, teenagers, hey, college students, maybe God's calling you to be a pastor or a missionary or a teacher. Or maybe he's calling you to be some photographer that uses your work to glorify God and Jesus throughout this entire world. God is calling you to do amazing things. He has a calling for your life. I don't know what your calling is, but I know you have one. And if you want to figure out what that is, I suggest you do a few things. One is pray about it. It would make sense to ask the person who has the calling for your life what your calling is. So ask God, God, what's my calling? Look at the passions and, and, and the excitement that you see in your life. When something stirs in you, that could be God trying to get your attention like, hey, I want you to do something about this. Or ask the people around you who know you better than you know yourself. Ask your family, ask your friends, ask your spouse, hey, where do you think God's calling me and what do you think he's calling me to do? Those are things that will help you figure out what your calling is. Don't miss this. God has called you to do the great things. That was his plan for Israel that was his plan for Samson, and that's his plan for you. But the problem is our sin can get in the way of that. We all have a sin problem. We, just like Israel and Samson, we want what we want, when we want, with whomever we want. We live by our own set of rules sometimes, and that can lead us to disobey, which will lead to disaster, and that gets, us in, the, gets in the way of our calling from God. And it could be struggles just like Samson went through. It could be sex and lust and relationships. Those are the things that we could struggle with. We can struggle with relationships that may not be healthy. We may be lured into a flirtatious and inappropriate relationship with somebody other than our spouse. 
guys, we are visual creatures, and let's not hide from that fact. And so a pretty girl and lust and pornography, that entraps us. That leads to disaster in our lives and the people around us. And women, you're just as susceptible to falling to struggles with sex and relationships like guys are, but in different ways too. So let's not ignore those problems that Samson went through. But it's not just sex and lust. It's other things like greed. Greed can cause us to love money more than we love people. It can be things like gossip. Gossip can get in the way of God's call for our lives because we care more about the juicy story or spreading rumors and lies than we are about caring for one another. It could be lying. Lying simply shows we care more about ourselves than the other person we're talking to or talking about. It could be status. Status gets in the way of us serving God because we're too focused on keeping up with everybody else and thinking we need to have this, we need to have that. It could be idolatry. Anything that we love more than we love God gets in the way of our calling. And just like Israel and Samson, we disobey, and it leads to disaster, and it gets in the way of our calling. And so if you want to live out your calling, you need to be real with yourself. If there are things in your life, sin and struggles, that get in the way of that. And we need to do something about that because it will entrap you, it will hurt you, and it will hurt others. But thankfully, God will faithfully deliver you from those. God knows you disobey. He knows it leads to disaster. But God will faithfully deliver you from that in his never-ending pursuit of you. And he did it through Jesus. What I love about the book of Judges, it's essentially just a foreshadowing of the greatest deliverance that our world has ever seen. And that's his unstoppable, unwavering pursuit of us and love of us through his rescue of his son, Jesus Christ. God sent his son, he sent Jesus to come to earth to save us, to die for us, to rescue us, to deliver us so he can show us what life is really supposed to be about so we can know him and be known by him so we can live out our calling and we can do good things on this, in this world in his name. That's what happens when we've been delivered by Jesus. And what's awesome is before Paul wrote that verse about our calling and how we've been prepared in advance to do good works, he first said this in the first nine verses before that. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. But when I read this, I want you to read this from your perspective. And so I said, as for you, I want you to think, as for me. So as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following the desires and thoughts like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for, for you, God, who is rich in mercy, made you alive with Christ even when you were dead in your transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised you up with Christ and seated you with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to you in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself, it is a gift from God, not by works so that you can't boast. For you are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he has prepared in advance for you to do. That is what God has done in your life. You disobey, it leads to disaster, but he delivers you through Jesus. So the question is, how do we live this out? We can hear this, we can hear the story, we can know the truth, but how do we live this out? And I think it comes down for us answering a question. 
And the question is, are you living from the inside out or the outside in? Are you living from where your heart has been changed by Jesus, where he's transformed you? Are you living from the inside out? Because living from the inside out means that we're not going after the desires of our flesh and our sinful nature and our desires in this world. We're not being ruled by this world, but we're ruled by the spirit of God living inside of us. Because when we live from the inside out, it changes our thoughts and it changes our actions. Are you living from the outside in? Where you're going after what you, what you need, what you desire. You're doing what Israel did. You're doing what Samson did. They went after their own selfish desires. They did what they wanted, and it led to disobedience and disaster. When we live from the outside in, we chased after our own sinful wants, and it changes who we are on the inside. Are you living from the inside out or the outside in? If you want to live from the inside out, maybe it's time to take some steps to do that. Maybe it's time for you to be delivered. Maybe it's time to make Jesus your Lord, your Savior, to allow him to deliver you from this, this life that you're leading. And if that's you, I encourage you to talk to a pastor or someone at the info center before you leave today. Maybe it's time for you to take a step of baptism. Baptism just simply shows our heart, that our heart has been rescued and delivered by Jesus. It shows that we are following Jesus. It shows that it's, it's, it's all about our heart and not about the, our outside living. You don't have to go to a class to be baptized. You don't have to know a bunch of stories and verses from the Bible. You just need to believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is Savior. And you show that through baptism. Every follower of Jesus is called to be baptized. Next week and next Saturday, we have our baptism bash. What better time to do that than then? And if you're ready to take that step, I encourage you to sign up with a card in your program or stop at the info center or sign up online. But take that step and say, you know what? I want to show that I'm living from the inside out. And that's how you do that. Or maybe you're struggling with some sort of sin or addiction, and maybe it's time for you to take that step of faith to start attending Celebrate Recovery on Monday nights. Or maybe it's time to seek out a counselor or talk to a pastor or join a small group or do something that's going to help you live from the inside out or not, and not the outside in. You see, Riverland, God has big plans for us. God has calls for us. He has dreams for us. And I think it's evident because of the 18 years we've already had existing as a church. God's already doing amazing things through this church, but he wants to continue it, and he wants to continue it through you. But we all fall in the same trap as Israel did, that Samson did. Thankfully, God delivers through that. So because of that, let's live from the inside out and not the outside in. And the way we celebrate that each week and remember that we can do that. We've been delivered is through communion. Each week we worship God in this time because, because in our disobedience and in our disaster, God sent his son Jesus to deliver us. And in this time, we remember who Jesus is and what he did and how it's through him that we can be forgiven, that we can have a relationship with God, and we can live out our calling that God has prepared for us from before we were even born. We pray with me? God, thanks so much for today. Thanks for a chance to come, to sing, to worship, to fellowship, to hang out, to, to learn. God, we disobey. It leads to disaster, but thankfully you deliver us. Help us to live from the inside out, not the outside in. Help us to live out the calling that you have for us. We love you. In the name we pray. Amen.